Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week we'll discuss something new or interesting in the serial killer world, then we'll discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer and go deep into their childhood lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. Uh, and then because most serial killer fans love a little bit of a spook, Brian will lead us down the road of the paranormal or into something he found to be particularly creepy. <laughs> This week, we are yet again discussing the Cecil Hotel, but this time some of their absolutely ridiculous plans for reopening this year. Uh, I will be discussing the uh, Moore's murders after four months of people from the UK requesting I cover uh, Ian, uh, Ian Brady and Myra Hingley. And then Brian, like normal, will wait because this is what he does. Yes, I'm going to creep on by was my topic. But this this whole thing, the thing we want to talk about first today is because I came across an article from uh, the Daily Mail. And I know they're like not the most reputable source, but... No, the Daily Mail is pretty good. I like reading they, this Wait, am I confusing them with the other one from the UK that nobody likes? I'm not sure. But Daily... There's one that's like, I think called The Sun or is it The Star? One of them they don't like, but a Daily Mail might be okay. But either way, so after the Cecil Hotel documentary came out about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago, yeah, um, <laughs> there's been this big discussion across the country and across serial killer uh, communities about when the Cecil is reopening. Right. And so apparently it wasn't supposed to be reopened. Well, COVID s- killed everything. COVID-19. Ruining everybody's lives. I mean, they ruined, they ruined everything. So, yeah. <laughs> ruined everyone's lives. Um, bonus facts just found out today that America just hit 500,000 confirmed deaths. So, <laughs> we're number one. Yeah, <laughs> but hey, we don't have any new cases. So, that's okay. <laughs> well, that's, I guess, a bonus. But uh, regardless, so after the success, apparently, of the documentary, they're trying to push the relaunch for 2021. And so, uh, here are some of the things that, well, one, if you're not a big, uh, a well-known person or you don't know a whole lot about the Cecil, it's this 700-bed hotel in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. I think now they're saying it'll be about 600 beds. Yeah, it says 600 beds. So the- because two of the floors are being converted into low-income housing. Right, apartments. Right. It was bought by a luxury hotelier, Simon Barron Development, in 2014 for $30 million. And they spent a hundred million on it, and then they only sold it for like thirty million. Yeah, so it was like a that. loss. Either way, in 2016, they submitted plans to LA City County to refurbish it into the you know apartments and the hotel rooms. So they closed down in 2017 to begin remodeling, expecting it would take a couple years. Of course, there's been a delay in renovations. But they're going to try and search forward because apparently, thanks to the documentary, there's interest. Of, of course, course there's, there's interest. interest. <laughs> Did we just say the same thing at the same time? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> I love how it says in this article there have been at least 16 deaths of the Cecil since it opened. When the lady in that documentary definitely said there were 80 in just the time that she worked there. Yeah, and that was, she said like a decade. She yeah. there. Uh, but regardless, I, I personally, as soon as I saw this, I realized we had to talk about it, which is that apparently their intention is to install 
299 in-room mini bars because that's what we need to add to this hotel where people kill themselves and others yeah but also a rooftop bar which is just chef's kiss the tackiest thing i can think to do because that is where elisa lamb died on in the water tank on the roof like i said just imagine them making a drink there called lisa lamb it's gonna be no we're not gonna do that it's gonna be a fishbowl tank a fishbowl drink oh no five dollar fishbowls yeah and it's gonna have like little gummies in there of floating sour patch kids no (laughs) to represent that that. is a very la drink though that's a very like young people drink and the stay on man is like billed to be like a trendy and touristy like 21 year old kind of place and there we go and then we might just have another murder there well that's my thought process right yeah like it wasn't exactly like the most like there were like what are you gonna do if you're gonna put a bar like a bar up there you need to have like i don't know like eight foot glass walls or something yeah because someone's gonna jump off that roof while intoxicated intoxicated there has to be some way has to be enclosed somehow so i didn't notice there's a teenage mother who lived there she threw her newborn out the window after she gave birth to it that could be why the windows are sealed now. Oh my God. They talked, they briefly in- mentioned that after people kept jumping from the windows, they clo- They made it so you couldn't open the windows anymore. Yeah, it said it was in 1944. So yeah, I'm going to say yes. Well, that would be a time period where you having a baby was horrible. Bad. Bad. Yeah. Poor chick. What happened to her? But yeah, so it's it's half of the building is called still called the Cecil. The other half is the Stay on Main. Yes. So it says, but yeah. So apparently they want to restore some of the like historical areas of the hotel. Yeah, they said they're gonna they're gonna have a ground floor restaurant in there too, and a lobby bar. And I can't believe they don't already have a ground floor restaurant. The whole ground floor looks like a time capsule. Yeah, straight out of the nineteen twenties, like still marble and like chandeliers. I'd eat there. Yeah, you'd eat there, but you don't want to stay there. No, no, no. That's like you, you got to eat at the sketchy places, <laughs> like the sketchy restaurants. Yeah, but see, this isn't going to be a sketchy restaurant. This is not going to be okay. the Chinese restaurant where you get your food from behind the bulletproof glass. Okay, but which always tastes amazing, by the way. Where it's located? True, it isn't a sketchy part of LA. I, it's like it's just because them stupidly trying to like put all of the homeless people in one area, like they were all cattle. Yeah, it's it's terrible um yeah terrible apparently the developers last year filed a notice to be exempt from the environment the california environmental quality act and i'm like well that just bodes well but either way so i just was like wow we're really going ahead with this whole rooftop bar thing right yeah like that just sounds so tacky i can't i can't read through i can't wait to read about what happens next oh Oh, goodness. Uh, I just, and I, you know, it's, they have to try and take advantage of the fact that the documentary has been successful. Of but I'm course. like, it was successful because it humanized what was essentially an internet ghost story. Mm-hmm. They really made Elisa Lamb into a real person. Because definitely for me, but definitely for me, she was kind of like a weird internet conspiracy theory. Elisa Lamb had become Bigfoot, the abominable snowman to me. 
like this story that we were just talking about. Oh, do you remember that girl who died in that hotel and they couldn't find her and maybe a ghost killed her and like yeah, I forget when I heard about it. It was like a a couple weeks before you even told me about the documentary because I had not heard about this at all. Oh, really? I remember no. when it happened. Nope, I don't remember. I didn't remember. Oh, I never. I don't think I was. Nope, I did not. It was 2013, so beginning of 2013. What was going on in my life? Just chilling. I was just having a good time, honestly. <laughs> Depression. Oh, oh, you're how very, how very uh, Gen Z of you. That was a good Gen Z answer. Ha ha ha! I'm older than Gen Z, so no. You are. You are. I just think it's fun. Like personally, I find that aspect of the internet hilarious. How, you know, Gen Z can make anything into a very dark joke. I love it. I'm here for that kind of entertainment. I mean, you gotta. You gotta. Like, the problem is you can't tell, you can't make those jokes in public because people think something's wrong with you. I do it anyway. Like, one of my coworkers younger than me, I think she would qualify as Gen Z. Like, we were just walking down the hallway and she tripped over something and she was like, oh my God, I almost died. Mm -hmm. And I just cracked up. But I'm like, you can't say that around older people. They think something's wrong with you. No, or if you say you're tired about around an old person, it's it's a whole deal. And like you don't even know what tired is. You know what though? I say that to my students. Like they'll be like, when we're in the hallway going to the bathroom, they like sit on the floor, and I'm like, we you were literally just in your chair. Yeah, I mean, this has been thirty seconds. How are you tired? I mean, I, I say the same stuff to my kids too. So I don't have, I don't have any room to talk. But like, <laughs> we're old, honey. We're old. They're like, oh, I need a break. I'm like, a break from what? From relaxing? Go oh, <laughs> take a your break, break from hanging out all day at home yeah. and terrorizing your father. Go take your break, and I'll try. Maybe to... they do need a break from like <laughs> terrorizing you. Yes, they're like, oh, that was so much work. You now take my five <laughs> minute break. My take a little thirty minute break and um come back yeah. fully refreshed and ready to cause havoc. Yes. Oh. When Killers Get Caught is sponsored by The Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right, The Magic Class Boutique is not only a black-owned business, it's a woman-owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. There are even adorable self-defense keychains for those just-in-case moments. And introducing the Serial Collection. This set of earrings is based off of Serial Killers and the official merch for the podcast. This collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warden keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasp.com today where you can use our promo code CAUGHT to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-C-L-A-S-P dot com and use promo code CAUGHT for 15% off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you. <laughs> anyway, I t- I said that my subject this week were the Morse murders, and I cannot tell you how many people on TikTok have sent me countless messages and comments on so many videos 
you don't talk enough about international serial killers. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to pick pretty much the most well-known worst ones that I could find. There you go. There you go. Uh, these are the, So, obviously, if you're a fan, you know about them, but I don't know if you know, Brian. No, uh, the nope, Moore's murders were a series of child investigation, uh, child disappearances between July 1963 and October of 1965 in and around the area that's now known as Greater Manchester, England. Um, victors were all children ages 10 to 17. Oh. Yeah. Only four of their bodies were recovered. And like many cases, very similar to Par- uh, Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo, mm-hmm. they were sexually assaulted, the majority of them. Wonderful. I'm not going to be heading too into those details this evening. Uh, it was very difficult for me to go into a lot of the details with the Ken and Barbie killer. So I'm going to kind of keep it at a not graphic level this there time. There you go. There you go. We're all ages uh, show. So we yeah. try to. Um, but they call <clears> them <throat> the Moors murders because uh, all of the victims were buried on the Saddleworth Moor. Except for the last one. But that'll be funny when I get to that one. Okay. Um, question. Dumb question. Yes. What is a moor? Uh, it's an area. It just looks like a big lush field and there's also woods. It just looks like a really nice area. So it's like grasslands, basically? I, is, let is me there give water you an there? official definition of it. Uh, it's essentially considered to be like an area of open, uncultivated land. Just nature. Oh. But there's woods there. There's rocky areas, especially at this one, the Saddleworth Moor. Like I looked at some of the pictures of it. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, like wonderful national air, like beautiful place to go and enjoy things. Also, apparently a good place to uh, hide bodies. Is there a, like, hi- there's just woods and like open fields, basically. Yeah, a lot of that. They also have um like that peat moss, that good, uh, that oh, like okay. nice. Thick. I, I like that moss. Yeah. My favorite kind of moss. Makes me want to try to eat it. It looks so good. <laughs> but yeah, it's got lots of beautiful like rocky areas. So many beautiful things. But it's huge. Let me see if I can try and explain. Uh, it is... How big are the moors? To explain like... Because at one point uh, it says it is... Well, it says it's 1,312 feet above sea level. But I'd like to know square footage. I don't know. I never understand sea level, so. <laughs> That's okay. Listen, we are not scientists here. Mm-mm. But yeah, so it's massive. It's beautiful. People like to go there, hang out. I saw lots of pictures of people in the snow, having a good time. Okay. But regardless. Okay. <laughs> okay. I just didn't know what it more was. It was like a grassland type place, but okay. I would say yes. Uh, the couple who committed this crime were Ian Brady and Myra Henley, and they had some interesting childhoods, so we're going to break the two of them down but, and then talk about once they meet each other and then how that leads into their eventual committing of crimes. So I'm going to start with Ian Brady. He was born in Glasgow, uh, which I believe is in not England. That is Scotland. Uh, well, at, it's in the UK. Yes, but he was born in Scotland and his name at the time was Ian Duncan Stewart. That was January 2nd, 1938, to Maggie Stewart, who was an unmarried waitress. Uh, she was 28 years old. He never knew his father, but his mother told him that it, he was a reporter for a Glasgow newspaper who had died several months before he was born. Oh, there you go. That's a good story. We don't know if it's true, but it's nice. Yeah. 
Maggie had no support, and so she gave up her son to a local couple who had four children, and they were Mary and John Sloan. So then Ian becomes Ian Sloan. Uh, his mom visits him while he lives with the Sloan family, so it's not like she wasn't allowed to be around him. Right. Just that she didn't have any money. Okay. Um, but he was a pretty troubled child. He started torturing animals at a very young age. We're talking like pre-eight years old. Oh, there you go. Sign number one. Breaking animals' legs, setting fire to a dog, decapitating a cat. Serious stuff. Lovely. Got it. So when he was nine, he visited uh, Loch Lomond Lake with his family, and he discovered that he was really good at outdoorsy activities. So a couple months later, his family moved to an overspill estate in Pollock. Now I had to Google what this was. An overspill estate is a housing area that's created to deal with overpopulation. And this happened, I guess, a lot during this time period. Uh, I guess post-war booms and, and child care and things of that nature. But uh, when his family moves to Pollock, he ends up getting accepted into this place called the Shawlands Academy, which is a school for exceptional students. Mm. While he excels academically, he is a very violent child. And as he gets older, he moves from hurting animals to hurting other children there who are smaller than he was. As a teenager, while still in Shawlands, he gets arrested twice for breaking into houses. Then he quits school at 15 and begins working as a T-boy at Harlan Wolf Shipyard, Shipyard in Govan. T-boys are like interns who are trying to learn the trade, but your most important job is to make sure that everyone who works there also has tea. Oh, nice. So, so it's like how we have interns here getting coffee, but yeah. they called them tea boys, which is kind of like a... Coffee boy. Coffee boy. Coffee boy. Coffee boy go get me a coffee. <laughs> go to Starbucks and give me my double frappuccino, whatever, macchiato. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, I don't buy from there, so I don't know what to do. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. Nine months later, he quits that job, begins working as a butcher, uh, a butcher's messenger boy. He has his girlfriend there. Um, her name is Evelyn Grant. But their relationship ended when he threatened her with a knife after she went to a dance with another guy. Hmm. I'm assuming it was already on the way out when she goes to a dance with another guy. Right. But right. it was definitely over when he threatened to stab her. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. I'm going to say that's my limit, too. <laughs> I mean, he, that could be like a sign for some women, but then it could be like another sign. That's like, a oh, sign. He loves me so much. He wants to stab me for looking at another man. That's the sign for people who are obsessed with serial killers, people with hybristophilia that yes. we talked about in the, what, second episode? Oh, so many. Like, <laughs> yeah, we talked about it like twice. Anyway, he gets arrested again, but this time there are nine charges against him. And shortly before his 17th birthday, he gets put on pre probation on the condition that he moves back in with his mother, who is now remarried to an Irish fruit merchant. And they had moved to Manchester, England. He agrees because who wants to go to prison? Right. And he takes on his stepfather's last name, Brady. And stepdad, Pat Brady, gets him a job as a fruit porter at Smithfield Market. Oh, now he's a fruit boy. Yeah. Got it. Within a year of moving in with his mom, he gets caught with a sack foot of lead seals, which look like little beads. And he was trying to smuggle them out of the market. I don't know why he needed them. I'm guessing they might have been like the thing to seal like bags or like packages or like maybe containers i'm like why were you of all the things to steal from the market why lead were you stealing seals. that yeah. i looked at pictures of it it was very hard to understand what a lead seal is but 
Uh, because he was still under 18 at the time, he gets sentenced to two years in a youth facility. And they said specifically for training, which I find is an interesting word to say. Hmm. He originally gets sent to the Hatfield Youth Facility, but gets moved to a tougher unit called Hull because he got caught brewing his own alcohol and getting drunk. Oh, very nice. Once in Hull, he does manage to stay out of trouble, and he is released November 14th, 1957. He returns to Manchester. He takes a labor job that he can't stand and gets fired from a job at a brewery. Deciding that he wants to give himself kind of an upper hand on finding work, he gets a set of instruction manuals on bookkeeping from a local, local library, and his parents are very surprised to see him, like, buckle down and study. After just three months of, like, studying really hard, he applies for a job, like a clerical job, at Millward's Merchandising, this wholesale chemical company based in the city of Gordon, and he gets the job. Oh. Which it just tells you that he was a relatively smart human being. Yeah, he just had to apply himself. Uh, his coworkers say that he's a quiet, always on time, very short-tempered. In his free time, he reads books such as Teach Yourself German and Mein Kampf, as well as works on Nazi atrocities and oh. yeah, something that he would find in common with Myra Himley. Oh, I don't like the way this is going already. No, no, no. We're getting right into it. Now, Myra Henley was born July 23rd, 1942 to Nellie and Bob Henley in the working class city of Gordon, located in Manchester. She lived in a small home that was in such poor quality that she and her parents only slept in one bedroom. Like they had their bedroom and she had like a small twin bed Mm. next to theirs on the floor. Things only got worse for them financially when her younger sister Maureen was born in 1946. So because the family was so poor and kept having children, they sent Myra to live with her grandmother in a nearby town to cut down costs. Okay. Okay. Myra had a really strange relationship with her father. He was a military man who'd fought in North Africa, Cyprus, and Italy in World War II. And he expected his daughter to be as tough as he was. He insisted she learn how to fight, insisted she stuck up for herself at every opportunity. Um, There's a, a story that she told was when she was eight years old, a little boy scratched her on the face and it was hard enough to draw blood. She ran home and she's crying and her father tells her, You have to go back out there and beat him or I'm going to, he said, I'm going to get you with the leather. That sounds very familiar. Why do you say that? (laughs) You mean from your own life? (laughs) Oh, no. It's like, uh, you know, like, uh, you're you're coming, like, uh, like you're getting bullied at school, right? Mm -hmm. And like you tell your parents about, I'm like, okay, listen, you better whoop their ass or I'm going to whoop your ass. But you know what? They tell you not to do that now. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a, it was a thing. (laughs) But either way, uh, so Myra does as she's told and she knocks the boy down with a series of punches. Uh, she wrote about this experience as one of her first victories in life. Which I think is also a very weird thing to say that as like, you know, a young girl, her first victory was beating up a little boy. Good for you. Yeah, awesome. Um, Interestingly enough, a professor of forensic psychology, psychiatry from Cardiff University, his name was Malcolm McCullough. And he wrote that the relationship between Myra and her dad may have brutalized her, 
where she began to expect violence at home and she was expected like she was rewarded for violence outside of the home he essentially said that that distorted her understanding of right and wrong at such an unage that it may have contributed to her becoming a serial murderer another situation that affected myra was in 1957 when she was 13 one of her like very close friends invited her to go swimming at this like old reservoir and it was in like june or july in the summer he was her best friend and his name was michael higgins and she declined because she wanted to go out with another boy named pat and that day her best friend drowned and myra blamed herself for his death because she was a really strong swimmer and she figured that if she had been there she would have been able to save him wow um oh wow okay shortly after that she started high school at Ryder uh, Brow Secondary School. And after uh, her friend's funeral, she began seeking out the Catholic Church and taking lessons from the church. Her father was very anti-Catholic. He actually only allowed her mother to baptize her as a Catholic if he didn't send her to Catholic school. Hmm? What? Yeah, so pretty much he agreed to allow Myra to be baptized if the mom agreed that they wouldn't send her to Catholic school. Okay. because he didn't like catholics and he said they only taught the catechism but she's basically i don't understand religion like that but aren't you like basically catholic at that point when you're baptized well i went to catholic school and so um my one teacher used to talk about cafeteria catholics which he said that they just look at the bible and they go like "Oop, i want that i don't like that Oop, i want that like when you're at a cafeteria I you mean- just pick and choose so it seems like her dad was more com cool with that concept like listen we can all be baptized but i don't really want to go to church i mean listen we'll only go on new year's eve and christmas you know people like that Uh yeah of course that seems like the kind of catholic that her father was and so her mom agreed she was like fine listen i at least want her baptized just in case you know Mm -hmm. trying to send her to heaven if something bad happens right of course but regardless um as she's now starting secondary school they can't really control what she wants to do and she throws herself into religion after the death of her friend. Um, she goes, she gets confirmation and receives her first communion in 1958. She becomes a godparent to her friend's nephew, Anthony. Um, she also starts bleaching her hair. Okay. And I just wonder if that's maybe like with most women, we change our hair whenever we're going through some stuff. I mean, it's everybody. With- yeah. Everybody just has a moment where you just do that. Yes. So her first job, she's a junior clerk at a local electrical engineering firm. She runs errands, makes tea types. She's very well liked at the firm, enough so that when she actually lost her first week's wage packet, this is before we had direct deposit. So she literally Mm -hmm. lost her first week's pay. The other girls who worked there with her took up a collection to like give her money. Oh, so that's it. Like she was considered to be like a very good person. That's so sweet. She had a short relationship with a man named Ronnie Sinclair christmas uh 1958 and they got engaged when she was 17 but she called it off because she said he was immature and unable to provide for a wife huh i mean i would under i also think two 17 year olds are immature and unprepared to be married but you're 17 your children obviously nobody's prepared for this but some people have done this before per her dad's wishes she continued to take self-defense classes and actually took judo lessons once a week 
but people weren't willing to train with her because they said she wouldn't release her grip when she was supposed to. Oh, she was too, too excited. Too aggressive. Uh, she briefly worked for another engineering company, but gets fired over attendance. And then in 1961, at 18 years old, she joins Millwards as a typist. And there she meets and becomes infatuated with Ian Brady. There you go. The infatuation begins. Ooh. So she does date other men, but in her diary, she only wrote about Brady. She was fascinated by this quiet man, and it was months before she even spoke to him. First, finally in July. Then in her diary, she starts writing more and more like disillusioned fantasies about this relationship she wants with him. Finally, December 22nd, 1961, he asks her out on a date to a movie about the Nuremberg trials. Oh, lovely. Right. What a first date. That's, like, that's a lovely. Dismal. Lovely, lovely first date. <laughs> Apparently, though, their dates were a little bit odd. They'd go and watch an X-rated movie, go back to Myra's house, drink German wine. Ian started giving her, like, reading materials, and they would spend all of their lunch breaks at work reading about Nazi torture. Oh, my God. Come on. That's okay. Whatever. She continues to bleach her hair, but she also starts wearing, like, bright red lipstick. Interestingly enough, at one point, she writes a letter to a childhood friend and said that she thought she had been drugged by Ian, like in a date rape situation. They probably were. But she also said that she was obsessed with him and him assaulting her made her want him more. Oh, my God. It's like freaking freaking Misa Misa and Light Yagami all over again. So after that, she asked her friend to destroy that letter. And I, I pulled this from... so. One of the first times she attempted to get parole after all of this in 1978, she wrote like a 30,000 word letter to the parole board. But there's one distinctive quote here that I think explains the mental state she was in in 1969. So it says, within months, he had me convinced there was no God at all. He could have told me the earth was flat. The moon was made of green cheese and the sun rose in the west. I would have believed him. Such was his power of persuasion. I think it's weird for her to use that reference to say, this is why I helped murder five children. Right, exactly. But I think it is important to state that she's like 19 years old and she is completely obsessed with a slightly older man. Very impressionable. Mm-hmm. She changes her entire wardrobe to appeal to Ian. She starts wearing sexy things like knee-high boots, short skirts, leather jackets. They kind of turn inward and stop being sociable at work at all. They spend all their free time at the local library, taking out books on philosophy, crime, torture. They read things by Marquis de Sade and uh, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Mm. Funny enough, I can say his last name. Can't say his first name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Fyodor? I, but I know the last name is Dostoevsky. So there you go. We got, we got Russian last names down. Dude, yeah, no <laughs> complaining about that. So during this time period, like 19, uh, was it 19, like 69 or I say 59. Oh gosh. Now I got lost. 1969. Um, Ian would like rent a van and the two of them would like drive around and talk about bank, like robbing banks. They started visiting local rifle ranges with Myra's friend, uh, George Cuthero. Cuthero was confused as to why she wanted a gun, but he helped her buy one from a merchant in manchester then myra tried to join a pistol club but she wasn't a good shot and she was kind of angry so her friend told her it wasn't the hobby for her yeah no uh, angry person with a gun no thank you 
Um, she did, however, buy a, a Webley 45 and then a Smith Swiss, uh, Smith and Wesson 38. Nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> From another member of that pistol club. Uh. So she did have like three guns, even though she wasn't trained properly in them. Um, even though they made all these plans, they never robbed the bank. Oh, Strangely so, enough, it so- was just something they were like obsessed with thinking about. Instead, they got into photography. Ian owned a box brownie camera, which is this essentially one of the earlier portable cameras, mm-hmm. uh, which he used to take photographs of Myra and her dog, Puppet. But he upgraded to a more sophisticated camera and also purchased lights and darkroom equipment. And they started taking photographs of each other that, for the time, would have been considered explicit. Ooh. Naughty pictures. So... See, I was right. I should have said 1959 earlier. Sorry. Because sometimes around 1963, Ian begins discussing about committing the perfect murder. And he starts talking a lot about a book uh, by Meyer Levin. It's called Meyer Levin's Compulsion. And this crime is set in the 1920s. And it's a fictionalized account of a real story of Leopold and Loeb, two college students that kidnap and kill a 12-year-old boy to prove that they can get away with the perfect murder. Both students are oh, from wealthy families and escape the death penalty because of their ages. So, okay, hold on. I'm sorry. So they go from talking about Nazi stuff mm-hmm. to bank robbing stuff. Mm-hmm. Then they switch to photography. Now they're talking about murdering. Committing the perfect murder. Oh, awesome. Well, I, I think all of the, the stuff about torture and crime and all of that, I think that that's all part of the the deep the, the fantasy. Right, right. A right. lot of serial killers have these deep, like seriously, like I don't want to say like enriching, but very real fantasies to them, hmm. and they fixate on them for years before they ever actually do anything. Okay. So I think this is kind of that time period, and and Ian Brady thinks that he has found a kindred soul who will help him. Who, yeah, and I, but what he's really found is. Someone who is young and naive enough to just go along with whatever he's doing at this point. A puppet. It's funny that her dog is named Puppet because right. she's the puppet here for sure. There you go. But uh, June of 1963, Ian moves in with Myra at her grandmother's house on Bannock Street. And on July 12th, 1963, the two murder their first victim, 16-year-old Pauline Reed. Myra knew Pauline because Pauline went to school with her little sister. They convinced Pauline to help them search the Saddleworth Moor for an expensive lost glove. Pauline and Myra went there in a rented van and Ian arrived later on his motorcycle. Now, there's a lot of discussion about this because this crime they didn't even admit to until the 80s. This isn't the one they were even convicted for. So Myra says that she just waited in the van while Ian and Pauline went into the moor. And Ian returned 30 minutes later alone. Ooh, what are he doing there? Alone. He takes Myra to the spot where Pauline is laying, dying. Um, apparently, this attack was so brutal that she had nearly been decapitated. Oh, my God. <clears throat> um, and then Myra asks Ian, well, did you rape her? And he responds, of course I did. Of course I did. I mean, what do you think? I'm an amateur. Now, interestingly enough, like I said, they didn't admit to doing this crime until the 80s. When Ian told this story... He says that Myra was there during the act and she participated. I'd probably believe what he said. So we'll never know for sure. Uh, The police look briefly into Pauline's ex-boyfriend, a boy named David Smith, 
who had three prior criminal convictions, but no one had seen her go missing and there was no body. The 15-year-old, David, Mm. is questioned and cleared of all involvement. Their next victim is John Kilbride, and that's November 1963, so it's only a couple months later. First one's June, the second one's November. Oh, damn. Okay. John was heading home late, and they offered him a ride home and a bottle of sherry to get into the car that they had rented. So, coincidentally here, at this point, every time they are committing murder, they are also renting cars. Oh. that's de- And see, that definitely and, leads to forensic countermeasure. But this isn't like the, I guess, um, a time period where you could track no, not really. The cars and all this stuff. This isn't like now where they take down all this information. Yeah. You just have to put down some money and make sure the car's back. Yeah. With, with gas in it and, mm-hmm. and you're good. Oh, wow. Okay. So they tell this little boy, John, that they need to stop by the moor to look for a missing glove. And then they just stop by their house for the bottle of sherry before they dropped him off at home. I mean, I guess you don't have to change up your story that much because there's a new person Well, every especially time. when it's children. I, I think know. this one was like 12. But they, he was also sexually assaulted and strangled as well as stabbed. Uh, yeah. Okay. John's disappearance causes a huge surge. At this point now, within a five-month period, there are two young people missing. They interview over 700 people taking statements. There's missing posters all over town, hundreds of them. At the eight-day mark that he's missing, 2,000 volunteers search every empty building and area around town that they think like a child could have gotten into Mm -hmm. and gotten stuck or lost. Like They're not thinking he's murdered at this point. They just think that he got into some trouble. And he's like locked in a basement randomly or, you know, he fell down a shaft or fell into a well. They didn't think to check the moors. Nope. Uh, Meyer rented a vehicle after the search and then again on December 21st to go back to the burial site and to make sure they had not, no one had gone to that area. Are you kidding me? Come Absolutely. On. She did uh. twice. So at this point, it's uh, early 1964. Uh, she decides to buy a second-hand car, and then she trades that in for a minivan. Okay. Which she's going to use very soon. June 16, 1964, Keith Bennett disappears. Myra sees him walking down the street, and she asks him to help her load boxes into her minivan, and then says she'll drive him home. Uh, they use the missing glove story again, sexually assault him, and strangle him. His stepfather is the immediate suspect. His name is Jimmy Johnson. And the two years following this disappearance, he's brought in four times for questioning. You're smiling because I told you that Jimmy Johnson was my favorite NASCAR driver for a time. Yeah, but it, when I hear it. <laughs> you think of the, you're thinking of hoagies over I'm there. I'm thinking of Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> and I'm thinking about a NASCAR racer, but regardless. Um, they bring him in four years over, like four times over the next two years. The dad, the stepdad, mm. over and over and over again. Um, they search the house, including under the floorboards. And then when they discover that the houses are connected, they extend the search to the entire street. Oh wow! Okay. But they never find Keith, and uh, incidentally, Keith is the only one of these disappearances who they have never found. As in, it's 2021, and they still have not found him. What the heck? I'll give you more details into that at the end, but yeah, that's one of the saddest parts of the story is that they never recovered this one child. Okay. Um, Myra's sister, Maureen, gets pregnant in 1964 and very hastily gets married to her boyfriend, David Smith, 
the same David Smith who used to date Pauline Reed. Oh, small world. world. Yeah. Uh, Myra didn't approve, and her mother was so embarrassed she didn't go to the wedding because Maureen was seven months pregnant when she got married. Ooh, okay. Oh, wow. Oh, that dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must have been uncomfortable. Shotgun. <laughs> well, after the wedding, Ian suggests that the two couples take a four-day trip to Lake Windermere, which just sounds so nice, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Windermere. Yeah. This was the first time David and Ian had actually met properly, and Ian was very impressed by the young man. The two talked about society, redistribution of wealth, how great it would be to rob a bank. Oh, bank robbery again. Okay, let's go. <laughs> David was impressed by Ian, who had been buying all of their food and wine during the trip. I mean, I would be too. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. You gonna spend money on me? Oh, let's go, buddy. What? It was the first of many outings for this couple. Uh, strangely enough, this really solidified Myra's jealousy of her sister because Myra wanted this small, cute family that they had, and even though Myra was jealous, they did become closer mm-hmm. during this trip. Okay. So, in 1964. Myra, her grandmother, and Ian get rehoused as part of post-war slum clearances in Manchester, and they move into a different overspill estate called Hattersley. Both Ian and Myra become friends with 11-year-old girl named Patricia Hodges. Oh, I saw what you did there. Friends. Okay, so I'm just going to say this as a disclaimer for a person who works with children. Um, I tell all parents this. It, it rings so true in this story. No adult needs to be friends with a child. It is a big old giant red flag. Yeah, no. If no. an adult wants to be close personal friends with your kid. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. So I will, spoiler, nothing happens to Patricia. Thank goodness. Yay. But I still think this is something that every parent or every person that takes care of a child should know. Do not let grown adults be friends with your kids. Why, why, hang, why try hanging out with my kid? Exactly. Huh? What, what, what you got? Pokemon cards? Let me see them. <laughs> yeah, let me see your Pokemon cards. You got Charizard? Let me get that. All right, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with Patricia, the three go to trips to the Saddleworth Moor to collect peat, something that a lot of the renters were doing on this estate to approve their soil and their gardens because the soil was full of clay and like rubble from builders. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty normal for them to go there. Um, Patricia does remain unharmed, mainly because she only lived a few doors away from them. That's oh, what I think. So I think that she was too close and they would have known. And they would have searched their property too. Exactly. And they probably would have found more bodies there probably. So early morning on Boxing Day in 1964. And so I have to give this explanation because. it's a Isn't that a Canadian holiday? No. Okay. It's European. So Boxing Day is the day right after Christmas in the UK. And it used to be a day where you gave gifts to the poor, but now it's like Black Friday in America. Huge shopping holiday. Um, I could not find any explanation, any full explanation on the name, though. Why is it called Boxing Day? Because you're getting a box. Okay, maybe a, that's A gift it. in a box. I'm pretty sure it's a Canadian holiday, too. I mean, it, it could just <clears throat> be not an American holiday. Yeah, it's, it's probably... Um, but I know probably, it's big in <clears throat> Europe. Um, I was like, that's probably what that is, yeah. So it's Boxing Day, 1964. Uh, Myra... A guest goes to like, I guess during Christmas time, she had gone to visit her family, extended family, and she leaves her grandmother with her extended family and refuses to pick her back up. And it's just like, I'll come get you tomorrow. And never. No. hmm. Coincidentally, 
10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey disappears from a fun fair in Ancots. Ancots? Uh, the same day. Oh, very nice. How coincidental. Uh, at the fun fair, they noticed a uh, little girl was alone, and Myra dropped her shopping that she was carrying. Leslie stopped to help her and help her take it to the car. Both Ian and Myra claim that uh, the other killed Leslie. Regardless, uh, her nude body was taken to the moor and buried there, and her clothes were buried at her feet, bizarrely. Just like last time, there was a massive search. You'll find out what exactly they did to her later on, but I'm not going to go into details now. Um, Lovely. Uh, but there's a huge search. They find no traces of her. And the following day, Myra brings her grandmother home. Oh, okay. Well, she picked her up. Yay. She did pick her she, up, but she, she didn't pick her up because she wanted to kill a girl in her house. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Awful. Terrible. <sighs> so uh, by fe- February of 1965, Patricia had stopped visiting them, thankfully. Uh, but David Smith had become a regular visitor. Uh, Brady gave Smith books to read, and the two discussed robbery and murder. Huh, another robbery person. Mm-hmm. On Myra's 23rd birthday, her brother and sister-in-law, who had until then been living with relatives, got rehoused to Underwood Court, which was about a block away from where Ian and Myra were living. Hmm, just sounds like a patsy to me. What? It just sounds like a patsy. I don't know. We'll see. The two couples began to see each other more regularly, but it was only based on Brady's terms. He only hmm. wanted to see them when he wanted to see them. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, I got murdering to do, so <laughs> you got you to gotta schedule this like a week in advance, buddy. I got murdering to do today, so uh, how about next week? Next week, Friday? Yeah, okay. Yeah. That works. Well, October 6, 1965. Myra drives to Manchester Central Railway Station, where she waits and selects a victim. After a few minutes, um, they see a boy. His name, he's 17 years old. His name is Edward Evans. Um, he's an apprentice engineer living in the city of Ardwick. And they drive to Myra and Ian's house and decide to relax over a bottle of wine. Okay. Now, Ian tells Myra to go get her brother-in-law. He's about a block away, remember? Mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned earlier that David Smith had a criminal history. Uh, he'd had three different previ- previous uh, convictions, and two of them were physically like violence. Okay. One was breaking and entering and then hurting someone when he did that. My thought process here is that Ian is thinking he's meeting another person like him. And so he's trying to bring this guy in. Mm, another person who is open to murdering. Mm-hmm. Now, David was in awe of Ian, and this really worried Myra because she thought that Ian was going to start talking about the stuff that they had been doing over the last year and a half. Yeah, and like let it slip and probably try to replace her. I'm going to say that Myra's worry was not wrong because she came back and Ian was just like, tell him to wait outside and wait for a signal from my flashlight. The signal comes and Ian meets him at the door and asks if he's come for the miniature wine bottles. Which is weird because, like, I'm sure David was like, no, I came because you told me to come. Yeah. What do you mean for the wine bottles? It's like, cold to come in or is like a little Right. Freaking- so Ian takes him into the kitchen to go and collect the wine. So I feel like the, the best way to explain this was this, this is a direct, like, what David told the police when he made his statement. Mm. He said, I waited about a minute or two and then suddenly I heard a, one hell of a scream. It sounded like a woman, really high pitched. Then the screams carried on one after another really loud. Then I heard Myra shout, Dave, help him, very loud. 
When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room and I saw a young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upward. Ian was standing over him, facing him with his legs on either of the young lad's legs. The lad was screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible hard blow. It sounded horrible. Oh my God. Smith then watched as Ian hit Edward as Evans with an electrical cord. Um, he strangled him. Mm-hmm. Brady then asks Smith to help him carry the body to the car. Um, and the two of them tried, but Ian sprained his ankle because this is a almost grown adult human being at this point. Right. You're trying to carry. So they wrap him up in a plastic sheet and put him in the spare bedroom. Okay. So then Smith says, all right, I'm going to go home. I'm going to try And I'm going to bring my baby's pram, a.k.a. stroller, uh-huh. to help dispose of this in the morning. He goes home. It's about 3 a.m. He asks his wife to make him some tea. Then he drinks it, vomits, and proceeds to tell her everything that just happened. Uh, uh, like a good husband. As I would do. Oh, my God. Ugh. At 6.10 a.m., armed with a screwdriver and a bread knife as protection, just in case he were to see Ian Brady outside, he goes to a public phone box and calls the police. And the police pick him up at that phone booth and take him to the station where he gives his statement. Okay. Good. So he tells immediately, within six hours, he tells the cops. As, uh, as a sane person should do. As any sane person should do. Um, so Superintendent Bob Talbot and another detective agent listen, and then they go to Ian and Myra's home, and they ask Myra, is your husband home? She tells him, I don't have a husband. I don't live with any man. B, you are lying. <laughs> so that's the moment where he tells her, I'm a police officer. And there's been a report of violence here last night, and we're investigating. So Myra denies it, but she's like, whatever. And she allows the police to come in and look around. Now, this is how you just know that people know that they're in too deep. The She allows the police to go everywhere in the house. Everywhere. Oh, so she, did, she thought she couldn't get caught, basically. Except, except for the spare bedroom, which is locked. <laughs> why, why not let me go in there? Why is it locked? Open the door up for me. So... At this point, they get inside. Ian's in the house. So they're like, okay, so there is a man here. And so they're like, she's like, well, I don't have the key. I lost the one key. The other spares at my job. And so the police officer's like, well, I'll take you to your job. And finally, Ian just goes, let him, oh, give him the key. Mm, he's, like, we, we're, he's like, we're already caught. <laughs> we're let's done. Go. This is over. Yeah, let's go. So um, the police unlock the guest room. And then they walk back into the living room and they arrest Ian Brady on suspicion of murder. Mm -hmm. Brady says as he's leaving, Eddie and I had a row and the situation just got out of hand. Oh, is that what happened? It's a direct quote. Oh, you got in a row with a 17-year-old. Okay, Mm -hmm. got it. Now, while Myra wasn't arrested, she demanded to go to the station, but she refused to make a statement to the police, just saying it was an accident. They allow her to leave. uh, And... Let's see, this was, so this happened October 6th, October 11th, Myra gets arrested for accessory to murder for oh, Edward Evans. Thank you. So they let her long. go home for only a couple days while they do some investigating. I wouldn't, I would have arrested her right there. Cause Absolutely. she, she damn, she lied to me about Directly not having to any, his face, like to my face. Anyway, now listen in front of my salad. Mm. 
Um, (laughs) So police searched the home and they found an exercise book with John Kilbride's name in it, which immediately makes them suspicious that they must have been involved in the other disappearances. Uh Brady maintains the lie that the two of them had fought while drinking, but then he tells the police that it was David Smith that killed him and Myra was just doing what she was told when she lied to you. So I, I I killed somebody at your house and hid them in your house. But no, here's this is why I love Smith. So Smith says, like, listen, he's cagey and he's like super underhanded and he's obsessed with train stations. So if you want to find something about him, you should probably look there. Mm. The police go to the local Manchester James like train station and they look for all unclaimed luggage. And they find that there is like a series of unclaimed luggage and the ticket for that luggage was in Myra's purse. Oh. And since she's arrested, they have her stuff. So they just take it and they grab it. So when they open up the suitcase, they find a series of pornographic images of Leslie Ann Downey. Mind you, she was 10 years old. Mm. As well as a 16 minute video of her screaming crying and begging to be allowed to leave her mother to go home oh come on her mom later came and confirmed the police that that was her daughter oh my god yeah so we have they have a 16 minute tape of literally the last minutes of this child's life (sighs) Uh, in all of those photographs as well in the luggage were pictures of the moor and when they interviewed patricia hodges because they interviewed people around the neighborhood she told them she used to go with them to the moor. So they began to appeal to the local people in Manchester and say, do you know where these locations are? Right. Like there has to be some significance to him. Why is he just taking random pictures of like all, the ground? Yeah, all these pictures of the moor. Yeah. Places he might want to revisit one day. So after some time, they're able to locate one of the locations in the pictures. October 21st, 1965. They find the badly decomposed body of Kilbride, which was only identifiable by its clothing. Mm -hmm. That same day, both Ian and Myra appeared at the Hyde Magistrate Court and were charged with Leslie Ann Downey's murder. Um, They were suspected of murdering all the children, but it was November now, and they were worried about the fact that the ground was getting harder and they weren't going to be able to do the kind of digging they needed to find and look through all the pictures. Right, right. But it didn't matter. December 2nd, Ian is charged with murders of Evans, Kilbride, and Downey. Myra with Evans and Downey. And also, uh, Myra is being charged with essentially having information about a murder. And that's that's her uh, issue with Kilbride. She's a conspiracy. Okay. Essentially that she knew Ian did it, but she didn't say anything. Right. Trial is set for April 19th, 1966. This trial lasts for 14 days, and because of how upset the community was, they used screens to try to protect the identity of Ian and Myra from the public. Really? Like, people were out for blood. When they... People wanted... This is the same thing that happened with the one that I talked about on TikTok with the two 10-year-olds who killed the four-year-old boy in England. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah, like, people got so angry they wanted to like murder those murder the murderers i mean that's understandable but like that's like like the current current 
you wouldn't do that nowadays. Like people see their faces in the news. And- yeah, now we put the names of people right in the newspapers. But this, this, like this, even this attempt didn't help. Everybody related to them in the end struggled because of what they did. Hmm. Um, during the both of them enter pleas of not guilty. Just the audacity. Of like course. we literally I mean- have a video. Like we have audio of you. We could hear you, but regardless. We found a dead body in your house. True. Ian testified for over eight hours and Myra for six. Ian admits to hitting Evans with an axe, but claims that that was not the hit that killed him. And he was still alive and somebody else must have finished him off. Oh, so hitting someone with an axe doesn't kill them. Well, here's the thing. So here's what he said. So his defense said that the pathologist report said that his death had been accelerated by strangulation. And so Ian's on the stand going, see, I told you the axe didn't do it. Yeah, you strangled him after you hit him with the axe. Right, but he's saying somebody else must have strangled him. No. He didn't do it. No, no, it was you. And it's definitely not Myra. And it's definitely (laughs) probably David is what he's insinuating here. But the police are like, listen, David Smith is not on trial. You're on trial. But regardless, he comes off extremely arrogant and it does nothing to help his case. The jury does not like him. I wouldn't, you know, like just get him off and get out of here. The 16 minute take of Downey, like the 16 minute tape of Downey screaming is played in court. Not the visual, but just the audio. Mm-hmm. Both Ian and Myra are heard on the tape. Myra says that the only reason why she was so brusque and rude to Downey was due to the screaming and that she just wanted her to like be quiet. So she also said when Downey was being undressed forcibly for those pictures, Mm -hmm. she was downstairs looking out the window. (laughs) When Downey was being killed, she was upstairs drawing a bath so she couldn't hear anything. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. (laughs) I love your lies. Send me a bridge somewhere in Brooklyn. She also claimed she had no idea that Ian had taken pictures of these burial sites. Okay. So on May 6th, 1965, after deliberating for two hours, the jury finds them guilty of all charges. Of course. Now, the death penalty had just been abolished while they were. uh, So the only acceptable sentence was life in prison. Brady was given three concurrent life sentences and Henley two, plus an additional seven years for her knowledge of Kilbride murdering and harboring Mm -hmm. a murderer. Right. So a lot of time passes. Um, They both go to jail. Um, Ian has a rough time of it, as you would expect. Um, Honestly, anybody who harms children or commits a sexual assault has a hard time in prison. Globally. Yeah. um, And I'm glad about this. Like, yeah. Who's really bothered by the fact that people gave him a hard time in jail? Nobody. eh? But 1985, uh, Ian tells a journalist that he killed Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett. And the police stop by his prison to speak to him. And he is very, like, angry and agitated. And is like, I didn't say anything like that. Oh, why are you here? I didn't just confess to a murder. I didn't admit to any new murders. So the police decide to start searching the moors using the photographs again. This mm-hmm. is 20 years later. Keith Bennett's mom writes this heartbreaking letter to Myra in November of 1986 begging her to tell the police like just tell them where you buried my son like just woman to woman like i just need to know where he is yeah like 
Okay, for one, you're already in jail, so nothing else is going to happen to you. You already got life in prison. Just, like, help me out. Help me, like, get some closure out of this. Well, police visit Myra, and she says, no, I definitely had nothing to do with this, but (sighs) I will help you. Um, But she says she needs to visit the Morris to be sure. Um, That's 85. Um, There were two visits that happened, and... Uh, A lot of people doubted her intention. They were like, she just wants like a break to leave the prison. You know, she's been inside for 20 years. I mean, who wouldn't? She just wants to go out and see the sun, you know, experience the beautiful lush landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, But she actually does. She like they she sits down with the police with like maps and pictures of the moor. And she kind of pinpoints every place that her and Ian used to go. Um, And... They launch a major search in 1987. Okay. Um, with all of this information that Myra gave to them the year prior. After a hundred day search in 1987, they find Pauline's body in July, on July 1st. Mm. Um, with the body, Ian finally admits to killing her. But they have still been searching for Keith Bennett's body. Even as far back as 2017, 2018, they've been using newer technology. Right. Like legitimately. Uh, the, the seismographs and stuff like that. They've been trying to use modern technology to try and figure out. It's a massive area. Right. Um, in in Manchester. So I said, I wanted to kind of give you a idea. Because like, you, oh my God. Let me see if I can find like, a map. It's a huge, it's a huge part of the area. And. It's like I said, it's beautiful, but it's just this massive, beautiful green area. There's rivers and other stuff. And you also, like, like stuff underground moves yeah. over time. Oh, and at this true. point now, it's been 40 years. Uh, All that would be left would be bone. Well, I mean, yeah, you can still... Maybe some cloth, but... Maybe you could find a skull, at least. Yeah, you know, so... Uh, we have there's no happy ending when it comes to Keith Bennett and his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the biggest, like most heartbreaking part of this for me. Yeah, just that this 12 year old boy helped the lady put her stuff in the back of her car, and he and got, was never heard from again. Yeah, got that for his troubles. Right. Uh, as far as uh, like I said, nobody around this scenario came out really well. So. David Smith got approached by a lot of papers to sell his story. Of course. They all did. And I mean, it was thousands upon thousands of dollars. And ultimately, he did sell his story to a paper, which was not the best idea for him. He became kind of the most hated man in Manchester. I mean, yeah. Um, and like openly reviled. And because of that, like not only that, but My- Maureen, Myra's sister, mm-hmm. She like they like she gets attacked while she's in the elevator at her apartment what while the- she's pregnant. Yeah, um, they both receive like countless amount of hate mail. Their home is vandalized. Oh my That's God. why I said like when they were trying to like hide their identities. Yeah, like because just the fact that Maureen was related to Myra, guilty by association. Oh my God, you had to have known 
that she was doing all this horrible stuff. She's your sister. No, we like only, those kinds of messages and letters. We only hung out when they wanted to hang out. We didn't go <laughs> over there all the time. Like, listen to this. But regardless, um, Ian Brady died in 2017 of heart disease. Um, a jerk until the very end. I, I believe it. At the end, he was doing like a hunger strike. Oh. For some ridiculous reason. And uh, that apparently had nothing to do with the fact that he died from heart disease. Uh, Myra died from bronchial pneumonia after a lifetime of chain smoking uh, and being diagnosed with angina and a brain aneurysm. Gotcha. One of the things that uh, Ian was actually kind of bitter about is the fact that like 20 or so years after Alice has gone down, uh, Myra gets has like a brain aneurysm and he's just like, oh, she has a brain condition. So she doesn't even have to deal with all this garbage that I have to deal with because she's like not all the way there. Dude, you did this to yourself. Exactly. But yeah, he's very he's like there's so much stuff that like, oh, I could talk to you about how bitter Ian Brady is. But I'm so mad I caught for doing all these horrible crimes. Now I got to deal with this my whole life. Probably one of the most interesting things that I came across. And I will say this is sort of a funny, probably the funniest detail here. So there's a 2020 documentary over in the UK called Rose West and Myra Henley. I haven't talked much about Rose West. She was part of another couple that were particularly awful and did some seriously horrible sex crimes. Mm. Um, Rose West and Myra Henley and one other woman from 2013 are the only three women in British history to be given lifetime sentences for their crimes. Um, that's It's very hard to get a life sentence in the UK. Like, you have to do something really rough. Wow. Like, you don't get, like, a life sentence. Like, you know, in the US, you might get a life sentence for, like, drugs. Yeah. They don't do that. It's not like that over there. But for murder, <laughs> for drugs. It, it, serious murders, that's when. So there's only three women who have been given these kind of sentences in the US. I mean, in the UK. Yeah. Uh but either way, so Rose West and Myra Henley were both in the same prison at the same time. And so in this documentary called uh, Their Untold Story, it says that Myra and Rosemary West grew close in jail, bonded over their similar crimes because both of them sexually assaulted children. What a thing to bond over. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like pedophiles doing the same thing. Then apparently had an affair. Oh, Nice. Which ended badly, and they became rivals as prison royalty. Oh my god! As that... being the worst women in the prison. Is this and I is have new... not watched this documentary, but I want to. Is this Orange Is the New Black UK? Apparently, <laughs> Orange Is the New Black UK edition. Rose West and Myra Hensley. Oh my god! Okay. But yeah, I actually the only thing I know about Rose West recently in the news is that people in the UK were mad because she got the COVID vaccine, and they were like. One of the worst serial rapists and murderers oh, in right. UK history should not be getting a COVID vaccine. Didn't you say, I heard you, yeah. Yeah, you, we you, were talking about that yes. a couple weeks ago. Yes. People are mad. I understand. I mean, that's, right, yeah. that's one thing I can tell you. Listen, when the UK does not like somebody, they do, they not, are, like they do not like somebody. They, like I said, they attacked, like they, they like rioted outside of the courtroom where those two boys were on trial mm -hmm. for murdering the four-year-old in the 90s uh the families of those two boys had to 
change their names. Not just the boys had to change their names, but their families had to get new identities and move to other parts of England. I mean, yeah, that's how serious the public outcry is. And it's interesting because I have a TikTok about those two boys. One of them, his name is John Venable. And my comment section is chaotic. (laughs) It is full of people who are like, no, murder them. They should have been killed when they were 10 years old. Oh and I'm my like, God. they were children. They're like, doesn't matter. They like brutalized a four-year-old boy. I mean, this, you, that's true. I mean, so like, this is just one of those things that like, it's, it's very, uh, it's very touchy divisive. Yeah. yeah. It's a very divisive topic. But listen, the UK, like they will come after you. So I hope you were happy to everyone listening who really wanted to hear about this. Can I just say how much I love the UK? <laughs> And I plan on visiting there sometime. Like, I love that you listen. I love that you hate your serial killers so much that you try and take them y- out. Yeah, like, like seriously, I I love the UK. Let's like, let's go. Hey, I'm here for it. Let's do it. Oh my god. Well, yes, that's uh. Listen, they're like, listen. Uh, you, there's no way you didn't know that your sister was a murderer. We hate you too. <laughs> you had to <laughs> like, even if you didn't know, you had to have known. Even if you didn't know, you had to have known that your sister was a monster. Yeah. Thank you very much. But yeah, we move into the part of the evening that is all about Brian and spooky things. Yay. Um... Okay. So I don't know how to start this off. What's it about? Um, Since you're all Mr. Secretive over there. Well, I gave you a pun at the beginning of the uh, You know I never get the puns. You always uh, do one at the beginning of every episode. Hopefully other people can get my jokes and, <laughs> and, and, and appreciate the comedic humor I, I bring to the show. I appreciate your comedic humor. I think you're very funny. You'd get my dad jokes. I just, I listen, I have to understand the pun to get the pun. Anyway. God, give me more information. I just said one word as part of the, the story I'm talking about. So, eh. Okay. Let's see. Okay. So. Wait, want to guess. Is it ghosts? No. Uh, cryptid? Sort of. Ooh, sort of. Is it international? Um, kind of. Because I'm really interested. I think I'm going to take start doing some international stuff. And I know there's some international weirdness that's cool, too. I mean, one originated, I think, here. Okay. And the other one is from Canada. So I guess not that. That's not America. They like when we talk about things that are not America. So, woohoo. We're going to get better at that. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think, didn't we say next month we're just going to go full all international stuff? Oh, dry. Woohoo. All right, I'm ready for you. Okay, today I will be talking about creepypastas. Uh. Huh. Uh, creepypastas, they're originally referred to as short user generated horror stories that were copied and pasted across the internet. Like, I remember, like, reading entries or reading stories like back before they even like called creepypastas i used to read creepypastas the way i read scps now 
where I just sit down and I just click through them and I get stuck doing it for hours. Oh, yeah. I used to do that, too. That's what I used to do. Depression helped that as well. (laughs) I guess I don't even want I don't even know what we would call that. That's like. I mean, they were just they looked like a wiki page, but like if. okay, so like on my phone, I have an app to read manga. It's Ooh. like when I'm doing that and I'm just like scrolling and if it's a manga that's like completed and I've just started it, then they have so many chapters to it. I'm mm-hmm. going to probably like read half the manga then. I feel you. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I just remember like reading these back in the day before they even like used to make YouTube videos about them. Um, I remember the first two I remember. Before there was YouTube. I know, right? The first two I remember reading about were Candle Cove and the one called This Man. Which you have never heard of. Okay, so Candle... I I don't really have the synopsis in front of me. Candle Cove is just basically a shared memory. Not like a shared memory thing, but it's someone... A poster posted something about an old TV show they watched as a child. And it's called Candle Cove. And on the show, they were like... Most of the characters on the show were puppets. And there was one human girl character as well. Okay, this does sound familiar. <laughs> and there was just like one creepy episode where all like everybody was just screaming. And oh, I would love to find that. Yeah, you gotta That'd look be it hilarious. up. Hilarious. But no, I think my first creepy pasta was the one that's based off of Zelda. Ben drowned. And the corrupted game, and the the yeah, I think I remember reading that and being thoroughly creeped out. Yeah been drowned that's a good one that's a, a good a good it's classic an old one yeah gaming creepypasta um and the one called this man mm-hmm. have you heard of this man no so this man is god okay so you know how i hate please sketch artist drawings absolutely because they are devoid of life this picture of this man looks like that gave me nightmares here we go. I gotta look it up. For about like two weeks. So I read the like I read it on I don't I don't know what I read it on, but there's an actual website called thisman.org or dot com, whatever. Um and Is it the picture that says, Have you seen this man? And he's got like a weird chubby face and big lips. And a fucking unibrow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> that gives me chills but yeah Every creepypastas are like fun things like can you dream about a person you've never seen before and like share dreaming like creepypastas yeah. and stuff so like that really this, cool yeah that guy he he apparently appears in people's dreams yeah and, and, and like you're supposed to like in your dreams you're only supposed to see people that you've seen in your real life i don't think that's true and that's not true for me because i see no i've I, had entire like walking dead dreams yeah, with I, the entire cast helping me like okay, try and you, find my you've family seen them in your real life though but you've i've seen, seen them, them on tv, TV. They're exactly not... i will say people who i don't know some people don't like appear fully in my dreams mm. they seem like kind of like uh what were we watching that had like the mannequins in the background I don't know. I just remember playing Little Nightmares last night. And yes. I think, yes. Kind of like in the, the background, like sometimes I have people in my memory, like in my yeah. dreams like that, yeah. who are just like, we just need placeholders here. Like essentially my dreams have extras and the extras don't need faces. Only the star of the show needs mm. faces in my dream. 
I just, I don't know. I but see, I've had dreams about people who I've never met before. Exactly. Same just here. Just people who, I'm like, maybe these are faces of people I met when I was walking through life. Mm. You know? But here's my thing. Once you see this picture of this man, like, now you've seen it. So, now it's in your head. Also, his proportions are very wrong. Yeah. It's just a weird looking guy. Oh, and so much did a 3D image of it. It's can we, horrible. Okay, can we not? I'm not going to show you. I'm not going to make <laughs> you sit, watch it. It's just weird. It's bad. Just, if you're listening, look up 3D this man. It's awful looking. Oh, my God. Anyway, but so. Okay, that is one thing I am really, really afraid of. <laughs> just that face. I don't want to look at it ever. Okay. So anyway, this is a large community based around um, horror stories, creepypastas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you checked out. I mean, would you consider our no sleep creepypastas? Absolutely. Yeah, I love. That's one of my favorite places to just read and then take a, you know, go to bed. Yeah, yeah. What um, a great thing to go to sleep with. Yeah, the subreddit no sleep. It's um, n- Now, most of those stories, they are made to seem like they're true. But most but the of the fun them... of that subreddit is that you never doubt the truth of the story. Oh, oh yeah, no. If you, you never publicly doubt it. say that didn't happen, you get removed. Yeah, how dare you? Don't don't do that. So the fun of it is that we pretend or we behave as if this thing that someone's writing to us about is one hundred percent real. We don't even pretend. We just like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. That that's that's creepy as fuck, dude. I hope you got out of that safely. Yeah, people are like, Oh wow, um, have you done this, 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 and this? Like people really engage with it. It's a nice community. Yeah, I love it. Um So where was I? So So we talked about this man and ones that you liked when oh, yeah, you were yeah. younger. So, so like I was oh you, you even got to it, so I was gonna say check out Reddit. <laughs> There are some amazing writers there, amazing authors on Reddit, uh, especially the subreddit No Sleep. They have great writers there. Um, anyway, we're going to be talking about two creepypastas today. Alrighty. Um, one from the early days of creepypastas. Alrighty. And one that is a current creature in the creepypasta. A creature. I guess, yeah. Okay. I guess it is. Uh, yeah. Okay. So let's start off with a brief history of these spooky spaghettis, these frightful fettuccines. <laughs> You're silly. These <laughs> the frightful fettuccines. I like that. Creepy pastas. All right. So where creepy pastas come from is pretty much unknown. Like what? Where, where the name? Actually, no, uh, not where the name Creepypasta. Do we um, have like a time period of like when the first website was? Where, yeah, where the exact origins of a, like the first Creepypasta originated from. Mm-hmm. Like there's a time frame for it. Um, but early Creepypastas were written by anonymous users and then reposted. Some think that the earliest Creepypastas were, you know, those those chain letter emails that you would oh, get. Oh, yeah. Those are horrible. Like, yeah. Post uh-huh. it. Re- send this or you're going to see her when you wake up yeah. in the middle of the night. Yeah. Those ones. Back in the early um, 90s. Actually, back in the 90s. Yeah. You'd get yeah. those in the 90s. Uh, like, you know, That's where the internet was popping off at the time. So. <laughs> it was that new thing. Yeah. So the name Creepypasta, it came from where else but 4chan. Okay, I thought so. It's a it's a portmanteau of the word copy pasta. So yeah, copy, copy creepy, and paste. Copy a creepy story. It's a creepy pasta. Alrighty. Mm-hmm. 
So most of the earliest creepypastas were usually rituals, uh, personal accounts, and urban legends. Right. So if you go on, yeah, I I spelled on on live, but I meant online. Um, If you go online now, you'll you'll be able to find like a lot of creepypasta websites. Um, Now these websites didn't start to be like start being made until like the late 2000s okay uh to to 2010 so 2000s 2010 different wikias yeah so creepypasta.com was made in 2008 okay and if you love reddit and follow the no sleep subreddit Mm -hmm. it was created in 2010 really that recent yes um what else there's another website that was uh, i didn't write it down Darn it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, these these have been so these websites they have an expansive amount uh their archive has like a lot of creepypastas in it. Um now creepypastas range from the horror creepypastas to unsettling creepypastas. I would say horror is not the ones that get me unsettling. A- couple maybe two or three years ago this guy said he was a um his job was to find lost people mm-hmm. in the wild and he it was like a 10 part series where he just talked about his experience trying to find people in the wilderness like forests and national parks and things and he also talked about like how he would come across just stairwells Oh yes, ladder like stairways going stairways nowhere in going the woods. nowhere, and they weren't like part of foundations or anything. And that everybody who worked with him told him not to go up them, and he took pictures of them. And I think this was a real person That's who a- did that job. And I think that those are stairways from former homes that were built there. But it is super creepy and unsettling to think, like, if you start climbing these steps, what's going to happen? It's um, it's a creepypasta. It's a search and rescue. Yeah, the search and rescue guy. <laughs> that's, his, that's what he did. I was like, he's the guy who saves people from the woods. It's a, yeah, it's a search that and was rescue. One of the, like, that's one of my favorites. Okay. So one of my favorite creepypasta narrators is Mr. Creepypasta. Okay. If you are on YouTube and you listen to Creepypastas, you know all about Mr. Creepypasta. See, that's so funny because you know who my favorite is? Who? Corpse Husband. He does Creepypasta reading yes, he does. on YouTube? He reads He reads stories that people submit to him of their own like scary things. Oh, nice. Before he got into gaming, that was what he used to do. Oh, I didn't know that. That's how I knew who he was when all of a sudden he was on everybody's stream. Yeah. Deep voicing it. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, he's one of the creepy people. I, I mean, used to listen to you. you had one too. Okay, yeah, I did post whatever. I have a couple that I posted. I was actually I I joined a contest like twice uh for like narration is um God Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Oh, cool. They have a evil idol competition <sighs> like once a year. I think they stopped like once. I'm not sure. But when COVID hit, they kind of like they had it, but it wasn't like, and, and then I like I only ended like twice, and I didn't. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> listen, listen. It's different now. I think you're, they, you're a well. I think experienced. Yeah, voice person. Yeah. Now uh, I have experience underneath my belt as a voice actor, but there you go. See? And at first, like when whenever I entered, they said that you know my equipment 
I must have been like, because they said I had a great voice, mm -hmm. but um, which I tell you all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they said like, just get like try to get a better mic or like your your software or something, and then like. Well, that makes sense. I mean, even before we got these newer mics for the podcast, it was there was a slightly tinny quality right, to yeah. the other one. And that does affect it. And people don't like that. So I understand. This but. is true. So his Mr. Creepypasta, his voice, he like he can tell a story. He can make he can like immerse you into what he's telling so you. Funny. One of my coworkers just mentioned another person he listened to and he was just like who a another person on YouTube mm. that talks about like true crime and has a really cool voice. And he's yeah. just like, I just want to be that guy's friend. Like, like there's just something about people who do this that you just love them. Like and I say that I want to be their friend. I'm like also in your field i'm like i i look up to you sir just like <laughs> maybe one know. day we can meet all these people who talk about all the same creepy stuff that we talk about yeah but if you go on his if you're sub to him on youtube you go to his youtube he has a playlist on there it's called it's from it's from unsettling stories mm -hmm. um that's the author and unsettlingstories.com i think and one of the playlists is called runners it's about some stories about some mushrooms. Oh. And yeah. And that's all I'm gonna talk about from that. But like if you wanna like feel your skin crawl. Here's the problem. Mm. I I really like when people are talking, but you know what I hate? Mm. The like thematic music behind them. That's, I don't I don't like that. That's part I of I don't the, like the That's part of the atmosphere. Door, door slams. I don't like it. Um our theme I know it's very cool, but I don't have to listen to that. Okay, but <laughs> the guess users what? have to. Our theme is from a like he does creepypasta music. That's what that our theme the is person from. who did yeah. our music, yeah. So. Oh, so it's very cool. It's thematic, but like when I'm trying to like I'm in here by myself, have it on my TV, like the creepy music, like the the ambiance freaks me out sometimes more than what they're talking about. Exactly, it's, 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 that's the setting for it. Anyway. I wasn't oh. trying to advertise for him, but no. Apparently, he also search and rescue for Mister Creepy. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Listen, he he did the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That listen means to he it. made the deal. Like he probably made a deal with the guy who. Yeah, because there's a book. wrote it. Because that person who wrote that, that was a huge. That was a huge one on no sleep. That's so cool. Yep. Because you have to like negotiate prices. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So anyway. <laughs> Enough of me fanboying. Um, let's see, where was I at? Okay, so now nowadays, copying and pasting creepypasta isn't common. No, it's because, kind of a faux pas. Exactly. So it's uh, due to the fact that a lot of the a lot of people who make creepypastas nowadays are authors, and yeah. they do this for a living. Well, it's a way to get people spooked and interested in your work yeah and then they go oh who wrote this and then there's a link at the bottom of the creepypasta and now you go to their amazon link and, and you see and the you see the the mystery books they've written yes. and you want to buy them Absolutely. so i totally get it it's a way to use the community to you know helps your craft yeah so make sure if you want to like start a youtube channel or like a podcast you make sure you get permission from uh your authors please before you read these now, with that being said, yes. <laughs> I'm going to get into 
the creepypastas I want to talk about today. Now, you said one of them was from a long time ago. And is that the one that you were trying to yeah. find the author for? Yes. And you said it was on like 20 different websites. Yes. But it all just said anonymous. Yes. So now this, like Brittany says, this story I was looking, I am going to read to you guys, was posted by an anonymous user on, um, well, not on creepypasta.com, but the, that's where I found it at first. It was post. It's on creepypasta.com as an anonymous user. Um, I checked all over the web for this, whoever wrote this story. I could not find like a source for it. I found several sources for the story, but not someone. Everyone says the same thing. Yeah, it's not this like. This is anonymous. We don't know who it came from, but so, here you go. I'm just going to, let me see. I'm going to have to pull it up. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to read this story before I tell you who I'm covering. And hopefully, from the clues of this story, you guys will figure out who I'm covering. Um, let me go to the website first. Because I did not... It's a long story. I did not feel like writing it all down. Because how dare I be so lazy. Hold on. I don't want it all just to be dead air. <laughs> um... There you go. Hold on a sec. Okay. Ready? Yes. Okay. So I got this story. Like I said, I got this story from creepypasta.com. Um, if you go, after I tell you who I'm talking about, you go there, you can check it out. Um, and yeah. So without further ado, I'm reading the story. After waking up with a jolt, the girl laid in bed a few seconds longer. Reaching over the switch on her bedside lamp, she tried to remember exactly what had stolen her sweet slumber away. When she couldn't, the brunette swung her legs over the side of the bed and heaved herself up. Checking the time on her phone, she snorted when she saw that it was midnight, the witching hour. Knowing that sleep would only evade her, she left her bedroom for the kitchen, a good cup of coffee on her mind. As she passed by the front door, a chill spread like liquid fire down her spine. It's only winter, she thought. She told herself, focusing again on the coffee plan. Measuring out cups, water, and preparing her cup kept her occupied. But as the dark liquid boiled, she had nothing left to keep her mind from wandering off. The chill returned, and she couldn't help but glance behind her to the front door. It stood there innocently enough, just like always. The deadbolt was still in place and she could see nothing amiss with it. Turning back to her coffee, she did her best to forget about the feeling. With her cup in hand, she started back towards her bedroom. As she walked by the front door, she decided that a quick glance out of the peephole <laughs> would help calm her restless mind. The chill worsened with each step she took towards the door and further away from the safety and warmth of her blankets. She pressed her empty hand against the cold metal door and took a deep breath before leading her eye to the peephole. At first, she could only see an inky blackness, blackness and somehow seemed to swirl in, its, in itself. When she blinked in surprise, the void melted away. She wished it hadn't. In its place 
there stood what she could only guess was once a man. The limbs were long and inhumanly awkward, with bulky joints branching off into several arms, not unlike the branches of a tree. The creature was draped in a black suit, somehow making the thing more nightmarish to her. The icing on the proverbial cake, however, was what passed as the hellish thing's face. It was as though her mind blurred the the ghastly visions to spare itself further shock and horror. She She shoved herself away from the door with the hand still pressed against it. The scalding mug of coffee fell, the liquid burning her bare legs as she fell backwards and crawled and tried to crawl away from the door. She knew somehow that in her mind, that her mind, God, hold on, let me re- reread that. She knew somehow that her mind hadn't been playing tricks on her. Or, yeah. As she crab walked away from the door, she watched as tendrils, as black as the void, she first saw snake around through the cracks. Oh. The girl was trapped. <laughs> the girl was trapped between the instinct to flee and the gut feeling to not turn her back on the door. When the door jolted, the urge to flee overcame her, and she slipped into the burning. She slipped into the burning liquid as she tried to make it back to her room. She knew deep down that she was trapping herself in a corner. But she had to get away from the door. At least she was self-aware. The girl was halfway down the hallway when she heard the, pre- the previously locked doors. Oops, hold on a sec. <clears throat> when she heard the previously locked door creak open, she screamed and slipped into a wall, creaking, crackle, cracking her chin on it and stunning her. After that, it was only blackness. Nicole? A warm... Oh, it was a man. <laughs> it's, a, it's a high-pitched male's voice, whatever. Nicole. Nicole. A warm male voice snapped the woman out of her trance. As she turned around, she was met by one of her sister's doctors. She nodded, not sure if she should say anything or even if she could find her voice. If she did have, if she did have something to say, that morning she had gotten an urgent phone call from the hospital, saying that her sister Lindsay was there. Before they had even let her see her, the doctors had pulled her off to the side and insisted that they talk to her about what might have happened. Excuse me, burp. Phrases like "self-inflicted" and "assault" had been thrown around, and Nicole felt her mind reel. She still hadn't fully understood what had been what they had been saying until they, until she saw Lindsay with her own eyes. Her little sister had a bandage wrapped around her head, covering both of her ears as well as her eyes. They said it was to keep her now deafened ears out oh, deaf deadened 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 now dead now deadened eyes from drying out. And to try to keep the infection out of the wounds Lindsay made to her ears. Oof. The doctors had guessed that either she had someone else, she or someone else had jammed a pencil into them to keep her off balance or to deafen herself against something. 
There was a mix of first and second degree burns on her hands, legs, and feet from what was assumed to be the coffee her neighbors found slipped all over the entry of her apartment. As Nicole walked into her sister's bedroom room, her sister's hospital room, yes, her bedroom room, into her sister's hospital room the first time, she thought she had spied the silhouette of a man in the window. That, she knew, was impossible. Her sister's room was on the third story of the hospital. The end. Credit. Anonymous. That's the original story? That's not, it's not an original story, but it's a, it's the story that's on creepypasta.com. But was that the first one? It's the one that's on here. Because, see, I've ever actually read a creepypasta about Slenderman. Oh, is that who I'm talking about? Oh, my God. Did I never actually read one about him. I just saw the pictures of, you know, long limb man in the woods with children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The very good photoshops that look like, you know, old timey antique kids. Yes. Now, I, I have to say this because of what you talked about at first, your story, and that my stories, they have something in common. What's that? Children. Oh, yeah. yeah I guess that <laughs> is true. Yeah. So. What's so interesting because I talked about the uh, Wisconsin Slenderman case on. Uh, yeah, I know. TikTok a couple weeks ago. I know, I know, I know. So I'm not sure if anybody could tell before <laughs> before Britley spoiled it. But yes, I am talking about the Slender Man. I'm sure everybody could hear that. Yes. I'm pretty sure you can guess yeah by the story. Um now the Slender Man is a fictional character created by something in a uh, uh, a I don't know how to how to say this. Something awful form a something ah the something awful form like i'm going i'm trying to say like a something awful form user but i don't know if it sounds better or whatever but yes a form user from the soft something awful um his name was oh i did not look i this is a theme for me i don't look up names um his name's eric con <laughs> Nope, I'm not even gonna do it. It's Eric K. Um, that's go. that's that's all you got, buddy. I'm sorry. And that was this was posted by him in 2009. Um, the thread that this was posted in is a Photoshop contest thread, right? So one where users were challenged to make a paranormal image. So Eric made two black and white photos with groups of children and added a tall, thin, spectral figure wearing a black suit. Now, these two photos had captions, of course. Um, I'll read one of them to you. And I have that saved on my phone. I forgot to pull it out. Well, I, I love that the, the pasta's version, though, that like it's not that his face is actually blurred. Yeah. It's that your mind is trying to shield you from what you see. I never thought of that way. I really thought like he was just walking around with a blurry face. Like, yeah, you can't <laughs> see me. So this is one of the captions. So... One of two recover one of two recovered photos from the Sterling City Library Blaze, notable for being taken the day with fourteen children vanished, and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformities cited as film defects by officials. So, if if he looks weird in the picture, 
it's because of film defects. Um, Do you know when that happened? When what happened? Oh, the caption? Of the when the caption contest was. Um, 2009, I think. Yeah, 2009. Because I remember uh, Slender Man becoming a big deal because of Slender Man, the pages. Mm. That like weird indie game, whereas you found the game and as he got close to you, it made that loud sound. Yes. That really we'll, felt like that was the beginning of like the fervor. We'll be going into some Slender Man things. But yeah, um and he he I guess quoted this po- this picture as being from 1986. Mary Thomas, missing since June 13th, 1986. So like this is this was for his photo contest. So he made a fake photo in, you know, mm-hmm. a big fake backstory to it. That's fun. Yeah. Um. So after seeing these photos, more posters started to expand on the character. You know, adding more photos to it, um, a little bit of backstory to it as well. Inspirations for Slender Man are that that Insidious Beast by Zach Person. Parson. I think that's I wrote an A. No, it was like an E. Zach Parson. It's and then Stephen King's The Mist. Um, also, Shadow People inspired him, and Mothman reports as well. Hmm. See, and the Mad Gasser of Mattoon is also an inspiration of Slenderman. That's so funny because you know what I thought of. You know Gary's mom. Yes. You know how like the the blank body, that body that's like it's just looks like kind of in a T pose. Yes. And it's just it's uh it's the G Man from mm-hmm. Half Life. Yes. That's what I always think of when I think of Slender Man. Only just slightly longer limbs. Huh. Like when you're placing things, you use the the G Man T pose. Would you imagine that? He's a G Man. Who else is a G Man that I've talked about before? It all is linked together. Huh. I mean, you said this guy is based off of potentially the Mothman, uh, Men in Black or G-Men. Hmm. This is an interesting thing. Yeah. So why are all your stories, uh, why is this like an expanded universe situation happening over here? <laughs> Marvel, let's go. Oh, goodness. It's a creepy universe. Yes, Marvel creepy universe. So, Slender Man soon went viral and soon started to appear on you know, scary online stories known as Creepypastas. Um, Slender Man. This is a little brief description of our Slender buddy, Sunday. Did you know that Slender Man only wants a hug? He also wants to eat children. Does he eat children, though? He eats the children. You don't know what he does. Why <laughs> they go missing? Why he never find them? Because they're in his ballet. You don't know that. Anyway, this is a description of Slender Man. <laughs> So the Slenderman is a being, it looks like it's a male, uh, who is tall and has very long arms. Uh, he can sometimes have black tentacles that sprout from his back. And he's always wearing a black suit similar to those worn by the men in black. Boom, boom, boom. He is, of course, very thin, you know, based off of his name, Slenderman. Um, pardon me, I have to take a drink. My lips are parched and I don't want to sound like I'm chapping away. Mm. He can stretch his arms and legs and his torso. And 
His face, or lack thereof, a face is pale. So if you run into this guy, you're in bad for a bad time. Just letting you know. Um, Slenderman has been known to mainly target children. No one knows what he does with his victims since no bodies were ever found. And he can also be found in woods or forests. So maybe a moor is where you'll find Slenderman. <laughs> <laughs> so Slenderman has not only appeared in creepypastas. Like Brittany said, uh, so there is there are oh my god. Well, so, that was the first one I remember. So the Lost Pages. The Lost Pages. So there are games about Slenderman. There and are, then those people made like a big they made Slenderman Arrival, which was like a 3D version, not a Yeah. Cuz the first yeah. one was like a super oh, low right. budget yeah, yeah, one yeah, person yeah, yeah. game. Yeah. Then they expanded it. That one was weird. At one point you were running away from a non-Slenderman monster, a different monster mm-hmm. inside of like a warehouse. So it's peculiar. Not really my kind of game. There, so, yeah, there are different like jump scares are not my spinoffs thing. of like the Slenderman Lost Pages game. <clears throat> Did you hear that? No, <laughs> just be hearing sounds all over mm-hmm. this apartment. But um, if you've watched YouTube ever in your life and you've looked up Slenderman, um, you've probably come across come across um the Marble Hornets web series have you you've not heard of warm you've not heard of marble hornets Mm-mm. okay i'm not going to go that deep into it um so they made videos about this guy mm-hmm. Man, of course so if you haven't like, maybe i've come across them i just don't remember the name of the channel yeah so if you haven't heard of marble hornets it's a youtube web series about Sunderman. um a couple i guess i'm gonna say they're college aged kids at the beginning of the series um, they one one of the kids, one of the guys, he goes back to look at a short movie that they had made. It's called Marble Hornets, and they're wondering, you know, he's wondering what had happened to it not being finished and stuff. And then this leads to him like noticing this person that would appear in this series of films that they made, and. This is the Slender Man. And the Slender Man. So they Marble Hornets, what they did, I mean it like okay, I'm just gonna throw this out there. You know it's funny. Hmm. I you just it's been in the in my head for since you started talking about this. Boy in a band did a song called Hello Monster and one of the monsters they're talking to is Slender Man. Oh my god. And Markiplier does the voice part of that part. Really? Says, I want Slender Man to be my friender man. <laughs> we can take a we can take a road trip for the Slender Man. And I just have been that part has been going through my head since you started talking. He just has such a good voice for it. he's not a singer, but oh he's like I'm like, oh goodness. Listen, I love any sort of like game music. So there's so many like horror game songs I have in my head. And that was of course based off of that. Yes. But it was called Hello Monster. Now if you've seen if you watch YouTube, you know who Markiplier is. Oh. And Marky Moo is the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love his voice. I love watching. We, we him. might be unashamed fanboys. Yes, I don't here. care. I'll fanboy for this episode for everybody. Anyway. <laughs> 
except for Marble Hornets. I mean, their their web series was a good web series. Mm-hmm. It, it was okay. Um, but it was just like a thing that some people made, like a like a we call this like a fan, like a college movie, you know, sort of, like, yeah, like yeah. an indie little movie that people made while they were in school or something. Like this is a long series. I forget how many episodes like were in the series, but it's a very long series. They, it's funny. It kind of gives me a little bit of it vibes. Yeah. Okay. Like, like they a go group back of and, kids. They, yeah. They're like, oh, this thing happened when we were young, and now we're looking at it as adults. Yeah. And- yeah, yeah. That's kind of what this is about. Um. So two things that the Marvel Hornets like introduced in their to web the series. Yeah. Okay. Uh, were that Slenderman? If you look at like him through like um, videos or something like that, he will start appearing to you. Okay. To the distance. Mm-hmm. And another thing that Marble Hornets like kind of introduced to the mythos of Slenderman were proxies of the Slenderman. Oh, is that where those little girls got that idea from? Possibly. Okay. I, See, that- I never understood why they thought they could be proxies of the Slenderman. I'm like, I don't remember that being a part of the game. But I could just be a little bit too old at this point to like, I mean, they were what, 12 and like 13? Yeah. So, if you don't know what proxies are, proxies are basically people who fall under someone's control, like puppets. So they here would, we go again talking about puppets. I know, right? <laughs> proxies, uh, proxies of the Sunderman are basically being controlled by the Sunderman. Now, why do I bring up proxies? Well, Brittany kind of mentioned that already, twice actually. If you're not picking up on the vibes I'm trying to give to you, um, well, on May thirty first. 30 days before my birthday. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. 30 days after your birthday. 30 days after my birthday. See, God. I know your birthday more than you do. Shush. And 2014 in Wakasha. Yep. Wakasha. Yes. Uh, you won't get yelled at because I called it Wakesha <laughs> and everyone on the internet got mad at me for like a week. Oh, my God. Yes. I remember. It's Wakasha, not it Wakesha. It's Wakasha. Even though there's uh, an E in the middle. Yes. Uh, two young girls, they would lure their friend into the woods where they would stab her 19 yeah. times. Um, they Talk thought about that- a G, though. Hmm? She dragged yeah. herself out of the woods to the side of the road and flagged somebody down. Yeah. That girl wanted to live. So the girls, the two young girls, what are they, 12 years old? They were like 12 and 13. Yeah. yeah. They're really young. So they thought that if they sacrificed their friend, that they would become proxies of the Slenderman. I'm not going to go too much into this, not too much more into this. Um, There's a really good documentary that HBO did a couple years yeah, ago that goes into the two girls and the life and the lives they led up to it and, you know, what really kind of brought them to it. Yeah. Um, so if, if I feel you like checking in on them, seeing how they're doing yeah. now in 2021, I think I heard a, like a update of them like a while ago, but I forget what it was. I about. did see an article from the girl who was attacked and yeah, that too. She said that she's entering medicine because she really liked how she was treated in the hospital mm-hmm. after when she was recovering. And she said that she was going to do something with her life involving medicine. There you go. And they were like, well, what do you think about your two former friends? And she's like, I don't think about them. And I'm like, go ahead, girl. That's what you, yeah, there you go. That's the right mentality. So if you guys would like to know more about this story, um, there are documentaries about this. And 
I don't know, check out TikTok. And Brittany has done a video about this. Yeah, it's, it's part well. of my Children That Kill uh, series. Yes, Children That Kill or Try to Kill. Yeah, in that case, Attempt to Kill. Yes. I also discussed those kids in Alaska who randomly thought they were going to poison their friend. <laughs> and they didn't use the, anything that was poison. Yes. They just were weird. Now, I've only seen two movies about the Slenderman. I don't think I've seen any movies about yeah, Slenderman. Yeah, I forget. I think I watched one on HBO, and the other one was probably on Netflix mm-hmm. at one point. Like fictional stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah huh. definitely. Yeah, the fictional movies about Slenderman. Um, one was basically... A, okay, maybe that was like a... No, no, one was basically about the... Little girls. Wakusha, yeah, mm-hmm. story. Um and like it was just fictionalized okay oh you know what i did hear about that yeah i thought that was kind of in poor taste yeah to make a story about i'm like this girl's only it's only been a couple years really making a movie about this yeah i feel like we could make a slender man movie that's interesting and not about you two teen like preteen girls trying to kill their best friend like the first one i saw it was not good um are they ever (laughs) no listen i love a good d-rated horror flick like i i wish like i think the second one i saw wasn't too bad that i could actually sit through it and watch it but other than that like i think someone else could do a better job at making a slender man movie i i feel like the fervor has really passed come on he's like this is classic though he's a classic i i agree with you he is a classic yeah but um slender man is like he he's basically everywhere you know at first i think i've heard like series about have you ever played minecraft mm-hmm. the enderman enderman does have the same kind of arms as slenderman and the name is very similar too and he teleports just like the slenderman can he teleport does. as well only have you ever made an enderman angry yes he growls at you and it is very frightening when you're just like listen i'm just the worst thing is when you're like you know what i forgot to put up uh torches in my house yeah and you wake up and there's an enderman yes, inside of your house, house. like what the and hell you're like i need you to leave buddy uh i'm trying to live here yeah like, and you get too close to it and it just growls at you like just don't look at him, it gets please. mad when you stare at it and yeah. then it kills you yeah yeah they will which is great you. because then you just you know respawn in your house <laughs> where it still is <laughs> so, so good luck to that but um yeah, Slenderman appears like a lot of places. There have been cameos of him like everywhere. Ah, um should look that up. Yeah. I like the reason why I said like there's a song about Slenderman. Well, there's a few songs about Slenderman. Uh I have one on my Spotify. It's a dubstep mix of Slenderman. Gotta be good. <laughs> it's great. Um but like on animation domination, there's a song about Slenderman. Okay. He only wants a hug, that's all. Slenderman only wants a hug. Well, that's the fun part about that song I was telling you about. Mm. Like, it's the person talking to a monster. Yeah. And they're like, I just want to be your friend. Let's go do something nice. But the monster just wants to eat you. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. Okay. So even though Slenderman is a fictional character, there are actually some real life historical references that that, uh, reference to something that looks like this guy. Oh, I'm interested. So... A resilient okay, so I found all this stuff on creepypasta.com. Okay, so if you scroll down Slender Man, you'll see all the stuff I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brazilian cave painting depicts a creature with elongated limbs and multiple appendages leading a child by the hand. 
Um, this dates back to as far as 9,000 BC. I was going to say 19,000 BC, but yeah, 9,000 BC. 9,000 BC, okay. Yep. Um, it's also a Romanian fairy tale that also tells of the legend of the tall man. A story about a creature wearing noble clothing. Um, he had snake-like arms. And yeah, and there's also an English tale about a tree man. Slim body, tree branch-like arms, and he takes children. Oh, so they all take kids. Yeah. That's what you that's that's the thing about that story you read. That was an older lady. This is true. He Why just appeared out of, he just appeared out of nowhere. Also, that one brought up the tentacles. Yeah, I know. Tentacle, tentacle, so tentacle. some people think the Slender Man doesn't have tentacles or tendrils. I just happen to very much like tentacles. So, oh goodness, oh, we're not going into that. Listen, that's the next thing I'm going to do. I'm no, going to make some tie. tentacle earrings. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> now, the Slender Man isn't one of my favorite creepy bosses, but it's one that's like good for a scare. It's got a, a long history for yeah. something that's only been like 10 years old. Like, in the future, I swear, like, our children's children will hear fairy tales about the Slender Man. Oh, and sure. about it. Because, okay, when I was on the phone with you earlier, mm-hmm. I was looking up. Um, oh, yeah, you said your, your kid almost spoiled it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and my kids are very tech savvy, and they... Uh, have been on YouTube quite often, and they run into creepy pastas. Well, my son, um, technically yes, and then my daughter gets it from him. Also, YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. So he knows all about Slenderman. Interesting. He'll ask you if if you if you met him, if you meet him, he'll ask you, "Do you know about Slenderman?" Oh dear. Do you know about SCP zero eight nine? <laughs> oh, he likes zero eight nine. He huh? knows about he knows he knows he likes like scary stuff. But he's a not scary my cat. favorite SCP. But all right, okay. Buddy. It's not his, but I'm just bringing up one that so he funny. would talk about or something like that. He likes the lizard one, I think. The lizard that can't be killed. Yeah, or I he, love that one. He likes the shy guy too. Oh, I don't like the shy guy. Though. He he likes talking about the shy guy. He's like, do you know about the shy guy, Daddy? And I was like, yes, Jaden. I know shy about guy, the shy guy. Shy guy kills people. Yes. Um. Actually, so, one of my favorite SCPs is just the monkey. Oh. The little... Because I just love that, like, the monkey rewards you. Like, you have done a good prank if the monkey appears on your desk. Oh, this is true. Yes. Uh, okay, yes. That's yeah, I like that one. It's adorable. Um, I'm like, you know that you did a good job. The monkey approves. If my, he appears on your desk, you are the winner for the day of the prank war. My favorite SCP is, of course, the teddy bear that creates other little replica teddy bears of itself oh i think i know what you're talking about and there's also the patchwork teddy bear that's also really really interesting because it can like make patchwork of different organs that you're missing so you like you need oh something. i think i do remember that yeah. yeah yeah like one day i'll read about some scps on here too because SCPs. like i really love that was have to be an scp day as we both discuss our favorite ones <laughs> oh my god yes <laughs> let's those have to have an scp episode Okay, so yes, yes, we're just gonna have to do that one day. Nine line. Um, so the last you're gonna have to just sit and listen to me talk about the IKEA. I love the IKEA one. It's okay. interesting. It's it's a really really great one. Um, the last creepy pasta I'll be talking about is someone fairly new. 
Well, time. I'd say like a, a year or two. Wait, no, what year did he come out? 2018. So he's a couple, a few years old. Um, so I've even used this one to scare my kids. Look, we were outside. They weren't listening. I don't care. Y'all can judge me all you want. They weren't listening. <laughs> I said, blank, blank is coming. Do you, don't you hear that? Ooh. Blank, blank is coming. And I'm like, <gasps> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so who, who did I scare my children with? Well, I scared them with Siren Head. You've not heard of Siren Head? No. Oh, goodness. So, yeah, like, there we we live near um, a fire uh, department. Mm-hmm. So, when there were sirens were going off. I mean, technically, everybody does. Yeah. No, this is true. But Unless like you live somewhere horrible. No, like, right up, like, a couple, like, a block away from, like, a fire department. But so, like, the, the you know, the sirens would go off, and, like, you guys hear that? Siren head and like and like yeah, you better listen to me or he's gonna come and get you guys. He likes to take and kill kids. Oh my goodness! Shush. <laughs> oh my god! All right, so I chose this one because well, Siren Head's an interesting creature. So Siren Head is the creation of an artist named Trevor Henderson. He's a Canadian artist. Um, oh, is this another one of those weird paintings? Okay. It is a painting. He does a lot of creepy artwork. Um, that one painting was horrendous. Yeah, I know. But, like, check this guy's work out. Like, seriously, check it out. Okay. Because, <laughs> like, anybody listening to the sound of my voice, go to his website, mm, Trevor Henderson, trevorhenderson.com, mm-hmm. and you'll see all the creepy artwork on it. It's so fantastic. And I am advertising for this guy as well, because <laughs> I don't care. It's like, uh, because his work is really great. So, Siren Head is a creature that stands about thirty to forty meters tall. That's about ninety-eight meet ninety-eight feet to one hundred thirty feet tall. So he's big. Um, he has no muscle mass, no no fat on his body. He's a skeletal mummy-looking type of creature um his body actually reminds me of if you've ever played the legend of zelda uh the re-deads in legend of zelda how their how their bodies are mummified looking things um so based off of its name what do you think's top of his head he has not one but two sirens two twin sirens that are part of his head uh with teeth so, Siren Head is able to mimic various sounds from static to human voices and everything in between. Um, there have been multiple creepypastas based around Siren Head. Um, also, multiple games about Siren Head. And some people may think that he's an SCP, but Siren Head is not an SCP. He's not real. <laughs> he is a fictional artist drawing slash creepypasta nowadays um because like just like slender man people saw a picture and they created a story behind it gotcha so there are also some awesome short films about siren head i just watched one while i was researching this one oh. um 
it was like it was like a five minute video about it, and basically this guy he was riding out in the countryside, and on his motorcycle he gets a flat tire, and he hears somebody like in the woods calling like hey. And then he's looking around, and then all of a sudden he hears a tornado um, sound going off. The siren, the tornado siren. Yeah. And all of a sudden he sees this big, giant, gigantic, emaciated, siren-headed monster standing behind him, and it eventually eats him. Bummer. But yeah. So, siren head, it's a mimic type monster it's a mimic like in D D. sort of yes it's not like it mimic uh it mimics like chests or anything like that but it mimics trees if it's in the woods so that's where it mainly stays at so it's as tall as a tree it looks like a tree if you're not really if you really can't see it especially at night um but yeah like it's a mimic and it can mimic voices people that you know people that i would know like someone that we wouldn't know and just calling out for help or something like that. Right. Or just like radium sequences. The sequences. God. Can't talk. Um apparently there are also different variants of Siren Head okay. that were made that I haven't read about. Uh, apparently there's a blood siren head and an ice siren head. Cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know about those though. Um, be real honest. Uh, what I thought this looked like in my head, mm-hmm. not at all what this looks like in picture. No, no, this is much worse. Yeah, yeah, it is. Imagine running into him in the woods, you're camping out, and you hear a siren going off. There's no sirens around here. What the hell's going on? Honestly, this is it's like sinewy, like muscle. Yeah, see, and then there's a mouth, and it's siren ear <laughs> oh it's horrible oh so yeah i don't know what the purpose of siren head is like his his creepypasta missiles Murder. like he he's basically just out there just murdering people um so he murders and kills people and eats people. I mean, Dang. of course you murder and kill people because you do the same. That's the same fucking thing. But anyway, he, he murders and eats them. So there are two different sound clips that exist of his siren that many think that might be a siren head. Um, one recorded sound is of a tornado siren in Chicago in 2010. I don't know if you've seen this video. I have. And what it is, is I actually know the science behind it, but I won't ruin it. No, please do, because after I tell you, so it started, apparently it started up at midnight and the source could not be found of where it was coming from. Oh, uh, I the one I heard was it was like in a big city and it sounds weird. It doesn't sound like a do do do. Yeah. Can, it's. Oh, can, can I? Is that it? You have it? Can I play it? Yeah, yeah. I think guys? it's the sound okay, I think it is because I learned about what that is. Hold on, let me see if I can find it real quick. Okay. Um. Hold on, okay. hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Um. Goodness, where's that? 
Is it this one? Hold on. I'm actually be going up before you before you get to it. Because I have it ready. Hold on. Yep, this is the one. So, so when I first heard this, it was that it was considered to be a broken siren. So, yeah, that's what I read too at first. Um, it's not broken actually. It's made to do that because the sound has to bounce off of different buildings. Whereas when we normally hear a tornado siren, because when do we normally hear tornadoes? Flatlands. Yeah. Kansas. Flat area. So you just hear the siren going, but it sounds different as it's bouncing off of very tall buildings like you would have in Chicago. That's what people explained it to. But I love the idea that people are like, nope, that's a monster. Yeah, that's a monster. A monster as big as some of the buildings in Chicago. But yeah, that's what they said. It's not actually a... And people are like, why is this sound so awful? And it doesn't sound like any other siren in the world. Yeah. Um, it has to be broken or a monster. One of the two. So I love like Reddit when I like when you search it, like, why do the tornado sirens in Chicago sound terrifying? <laughs> Top comment to scare away the tornadoes. Duh. Duh. I love the Internet. All right. Y'all are the best. All right. So this is the second sound. It sounds just like the first one. It was. uh Recorded in 2018, mm-hmm. so eight years later after the one in Chicago. It's in Weyer, Austria, uh, and this sound was... I much prefer the idea that this thing lives in Austria, so yes, let's go with that idea. It's <laughs> not in Chicago. It's obviously in Austria. So this thing was recorded at 3.30 a.m., or close to 3.30 a.m. Um, the sound came from a forest. Um when investigated, there was an empty tent found, two wallets with everything in them. Now, they found the IDs of these two people, and they are reported missing And since then. Oh. So, yeah. Cool. So. Do they have a sound for that one? It's coming? the same sound. It's the same sound? It sounded the same. No way. It sounded the same. And, like I said, it came from a forest, and this was like a forest on the edge of the town. Huh. That's weird. But yeah, apparently another reason why they said they think the Chicago siren is made to sound like that bizarre is because of what they call like sensory adaptation, Mm. which is you live in a big city. And this is true because I lived in Philadelphia for quite some time, almost 10 years. You get used to the sounds. It's like one of those things of like, I wasn't used to the sounds of this building until we needed silence. That makes sense. Right. So it makes it almost impossible for you to ignore this siren. Because it sounds so freaking weird. Exactly. Because you're used to, you know, normal sirens. You're used to fire trucks all times of the night, EMTs, cop cars, because you live in a big city. So this is a sound you cannot ignore. But then that's interesting if it's similar, because the question is, did you hear this somewhere else and decide to use it in Chicago? Who knows? Yeah. So also a fun fact about Siren Head is that a group of Siren Head are called a static. That's ridiculous. And I hate it. (laughs) Oh, but that is all I have for creepypastas today. That was a good time. That was super interesting. Yeah. I might want to cover creepypastas again. I don't know. Maybe I'll get somebody to act. Oh, you know what? If you guys want, send in some creepy stories. I'll read them for you guys. Absolutely. Listen, I want Brian to do Creeps with Brian. And I told him he could break it up into like parts and do a whole story over multiple videos. Uh, yes. It's not that hard to use TikTok. 
once it, you get listen you can get your little thousand followers and then you can do lives too oh my god yeah you know, one day i will be doing lives in like a million years <sighs> listen i don't know what made people decide to follow my account <laughs> well i'm glad they have yeah i have too you know this whole process has been a lot of fun uh like but it's time to say goodnight. This is our longest podcast so far. We're a, we're a little over two hours. Yeah. Sorry for it being so long, guys. Oh, well. We'll see if people like it or not. Yeah. They'll let us know for sure. <laughs> uh, as usual, support all of our sponsors. That's anchor.fm. That's themagicclasp.com. Uh, Hunted proves to still be the most popular earring so far. There you go. So much so that I went looking for other kinds of knife earrings (laughs) to sell people because people like the other hunting knives so much there you go and also make sure if you listen to us on apple Podcasts or any podcast that allows you to rate and review a podcast to leave us a five-star review if you like the podcast and if you didn't like the podcast don't leave us a review at all because we don't Listen, we don't it. like constructive criticism. We really don't. <clears throat> like, <laughs> just, just, like, if you didn't like it, that's okay. Like, just don't tell us about it. That's all I want to hear. But, I want to hear the good stuff. Also, thank you so much to the, like, we had got 500 extra listens last week. Yeah. Like, that our, was wild. Our listens are, like, Exploding. almost doubled. Yeah. yeah, it almost doubled in just a couple days' time. So, so th- it's very exciting. Yeah, thank, thank you, you to any new listeners. Uh, like I said, you can always leave a voice message for us on Anchor and we'll respond to you. Absolutely. Um, we're like, looking at potentially making like a Patreon and things. And, hopefully. Um, we have a Discord. I posted the information to that uh, on TikTok. Yeah, we only got two people that joined it, but still. Listen, you know. that's still two yeah. people. Hi, hi guys. How are you guys doing? I'm pretty sure you listen. Um, But yeah. And also, if you want to see any creepy gaming... You can follow me on twitch.tv slash foxy trainer. Yeah. I'm finishing up little nightmares right now. I think I only have like one more stream to do and I'll be done with it. And after that, I'll be finishing up Yuppie Cycle. And was Yuppie Cycle the one with the the job? Yeah. That was weird yeah. and cool. That was and a really cool kind of game. After that, I don't know. I'll probably f- pick another scary game to play and be scared because I hate myself. <laughs> That's all right. Oh. That's good. More and more streaming. Yes. Consistently stream at a certain time every time, and you'll start to get people, you know, following you. I'm trying. Yeah. But anyway, thanks so much for listening to When Killers Get Caught. We're appreciative to everyone who listens. Yes. Have a good night. Thank you. Bye.